Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci. Today, I'm really excited to be talking with Luke Summerfield of HubSpot for episode number 23. Luke's point today is pretty simple. The process most agencies follow for web design is broken. You meet with a client a few times over a couple of weeks and then go back in your office for a few months, battle the inevitable scope creep, blow past deadlines. Then when it's finally done, you don't hear from the client again for two or three years until they're ready for another redesign. Doesn't sound too good, does it? The Agile method, on the other hand, has been all the rage in software for the past few years. But why have we been clinging on to something that nobody's happy with when it comes to websites? Today, Luke shares with us a methodology he calls growth-driven design that helps avoid all these problems, get your clients a better result, and make you more money. This isn't some high-level talk covering lofty ideas with no clear way to implement them. This is a solid framework for changing the way you sell and service your clients. Now, Luke covers a ton of stuff today, so if you're listening along, I'd strongly recommend heading over to the show notes that we're hosting at blog.hubstaff.com so you can follow along without missing anything. So without further ado, here's Luke. Hey, Luke, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I'm really excited. Agencies are like my favorite peeps. They're like my, <laughs> my community. And so anytime I can get around uh, other agency people, I love it. Well, you're in the exact right spot for that. So <laughs> to get us started, you're a program manager at HubSpot. What exactly does that mean? Uh, well, it's funny because uh, I was the first program manager here, and when I got hired, they didn't know what the hell that meant. So uh, they basically hired me. So what my background story is, I actually came from the agency world. Um, I worked in the agency world for about six years, and um, the agency I worked for uh, was a big web web dev shop. We became HubSpot partners, grew from fifteen to or from three to fifteen, and went through all this, the struggles, the ups and downs of growing an agency and um, ended up getting acquired by uh, HubSpot's biggest partner agency, uh, Square Two, and was there for a bit. And, um, you know, long, t- long term career wise, decided to jump to my next adventure and found a good opportunity to be here at HubSpot. And so um, when I was talking to them, they hired me as a, uh, and gave me the program manager title and asked, uh, you know, what I'd like to do. And I'm like, well, I'd like to try and figure out programs that will help agencies grow. Um, and so that's essentially what I do here. And 2015, uh, I started here about a year and a half ago. Uh, 2015 was a year of experimentation and rolled out um, a whole bunch of different uh, ideas uh, as experiments. And some of those things worked really well and some of those things tanked and I learned from them. And um, one of those things that took off and, and really agencies found a lot of value with was what we're talking about today is the growth driven design. And so fortunate enough that that's now uh, for 2016 the the main program that I'm driving here. Growth driven design or GDD is like it's so important for so many agencies and because a lot of their model the way they approach things right now is just not really ideal so why don't we start with that what do you think is wrong with the way a lot of design and development agencies approach web design today? I think it's again a two-part question the first part question is what's wrong what's fundamentally broken with the traditional design process. And then questions two is like, how does that affect the agency? So question one, you know, if you put yourself in the shoes of your prospects or of a marketer at a company, whether they consciously think it or subconsciously think it, the second they know they have to do a redesign, like 
they think it's going to be a nightmare. Like all these negative emotions come into play. They're like, oh, this is going to be a huge pain in the butt. And the reason is, is if you ask them about how their previous web designs went, almost inevitably, like one of a few things have happened. Either it went completely out of budget or out of scope. And, um, you know, all of a sudden they're, they're spending more than they were expecting. Uh, it never gets launched on time. R- rarely ever do you launch on time. Um, they end up having to shift away all of their time and energy from kind of like all these other things that they're doing in their business to focusing on building a website and helping an agency with, the, you know, the content that they need and all that. So it kind of pulls them in all these different directions. And, you know, it just ends up being um, kind of a, a headache. And then what, what ends up happening is they're so happy the site is done, like probably the agency as well is like so happy it's done. They throw their hands up in the air. They launch the thing. And then they don't touch it for you know a year and a half to two years other than maybe some minimal updates. And that's why we only do redesigns every two years. And the reason that we have those issues is not because anyone is necessarily at fault. The, the thing that's at fault is that the system that we're using to go about building these things is broken. We're, we're kind of using like a – we're trying to drive a broken car and we're not getting to that destination that we want to be in. And so I saw this, again, firsthand when I was at uh, the agency, and that's really where this idea started from, where um, you know the majority of our revenue was coming from project-based work, and just every single one was, was either a nightmare for the client or a nightmare for us, and it just – I knew there had to be a better way, and so that's kind of what the, got the gears turning. And um, so that's kind of like part one is just – the things about, you know, some of the, the, I guess, pain points that your prospects are going through when they're thinking or, or approaching a website redesign. Um, now, on the agency side, the problem with traditional re- uh, web design is the biggest one is that it's a um, project-based business model. So all of you that are doing project-based work where you're doing a three-month project and then you're kind of three- or five-month project and it's out the door and you don't hear from them for a long time – that's probably you're probably experiencing some of these pains. Uh, first one being cash flow. Like all of a sudden you have a ton of work, a ton of money, and you know more work than you can handle. And then the next month you're wondering where your next sale is going to come from and how you're going to pay your developers. And yeah, it's a classic feast or famine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and and the and, and it's hard. You, it's very hard to grow an agency when you're always struggling with that. You know, it's hard to hire people. You don't want to bring on a new developer onto your payroll if you don't know, if you don't have consistent cash flows, like all kinds of nightmares with that. And then the other big problem that agencies run into is uh, scope creep. You know, something comes up with the client, something comes up along the way that you didn't expect. And all of a sudden, all these things start to pile up where um, all of a sudden it turns and snowballs into this big monster project. And again, that's because of the way that we go about building uh, websites and the idea that it needs to be perfect when we launch it because we're not going to be touching it again for the next um, two years. And so all all of that was kind of like what I was observing for years, hands on doing it. And it we actually started at Savvy Panda. Started uh, Savvy Panda was the name of the agency I, I work for. Um, we started trying to play around with our own kind of. Uh, process to do this kind of stuff and solve some of these things. And, um, you know, as we were getting the ball rolling on that, we got acquired and so it just kind of fizzled out. But when I came to uh, HubSpot and started working, we have 3,000 partner agencies and, and talking to all them and talking, you know, of course, I knew just from going to conferences and talking to other agencies, this is really an industry-wide problem. This wasn't like a savvy panda problem. This is something that everyone in the industry is struggling with. 
And I think a lot of people have taken uh, their own approach and bits and pieces and, and kind of are doing bits and pieces. And, um, you know, I finally said, let's, let's spend some time and energy putting together a smart system. And that's kind of what we put together for growth driven design. Yeah, and I think that's exactly right because it's you said it a good way. It's that like you can't start off with the best performing website just right out the gate, and it's sort of like all agencies are talking about CRO and they're talking about all the kind of the iterative process of developing a website. But then when they're developing them for their clients, that's not at all what happens. They're just they almost have one shot at success. Yeah, yeah. One so to kind of riff off of that for a second. Um, there's a very different mindset that you have and a different approach to, to take between traditional web design and growth-driven design, and, and it kind of stems off of what you're saying. So in traditional design, it's a very designer-driven process, meaning we get we, we talk to the clients, we find out what their goals are, what their you know feature requirements are, yada, 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 and then we go off into our little backroom bubble and we tinker away for three to four months, and we might do a little bit of user testing along the way if you're if you have a more robust process. But generally speaking, you're making hundreds and hundreds of little decisions um, that are basically assumptions. You're kind of guessing on what you think will work well based off of industry standards, based off of best practices. But the reality is, is that those don't necessarily mean that that's going to be the right thing for this specific client and this specific audience that they're that they're marketing to. And so, I like to say in the traditional route, you're basically just wrapping months and months of thousands of little decisions into a giant assumption and then launching it and crossing your fingers and hoping that you, you hit the mark. And that's just such a... Yeah, and it seems crazy. It's such a broken way to do it. Um, and with growth-driven design, it's very different. It is a, it's a total different mind shift. The user actually tells us how to build the website. The user tells us through behavior, be, through data. So we get something out there quickly, and then we see what the user is interacting with. What are they using? What are they getting hung up on? And by their behavior, it helps inform us on what we should be building next and how we should be improving, which is just such a smarter way because you're not making these assumptions. You're making your decisions based off of real user data um, and letting the, the user guide the decision on how to build the site. Like in theory, like when you're describing all that, it makes perfect sense. Like let the user describe it, see how it works in reality and adapt and adjust in a process. But like in practice, what does that look like? How how could an agency actually like implement these growth driven design principles? The uh, the growth driven design methodology is broken into essentially three steps, and the first step is probably not too different than what a lot of you are doing today, but it's the strategy step. And you know you can think of of course the strategy step as like the foundation of a house. It's really setting you up for success, so you're not. You know, if if you skip the strategy step, it's very much like you like kind of playing darts with a blindfold on and hoping that you hit the target. And so, the strategy step allows you to pull that blindfold off and get a very crystal clear understanding of their users, what's important, the points of pain they're going through, so that you can really tailor um, uh, the best not only messaging and content and and all that, but also the overall user experience and how the website is woven into that person's life to solve their problems. Um, and so that's that's probably not too different than what you're doing today, but here's where it gets a little bit more interesting. So at the end of the strategy step, 
based off of all your user research, your interviews, your journey mapping, um, we have these things called fundamental assumptions. Um, you know, I, I, we'll, we'll give you links if you want to learn more about it at the end. I'm sure it's in the show notes. But um, after you get through that, you have this big brainstorming session. And what you want to come out of the strategy sec- uh, step with is what I call a wish list. And the wish list is 70 to 200 ideas about what we should put on the site that is going to have a big impact on the user and provide value to the user and in turn drive value for the business. So this could be features, modules, pages, sections, um, you know, complex functionality, simple functionality, like all kinds of different ideas that, that come through based off of everything you learned in the strategy step. Now, the second step in the website uh, growth-driven design um, methodology is the Launchpad website. So if we think of like traditional web design, you typically launch a site and that's the end of all of your efforts. You're like, okay, thank God this thing's out the door. Let's move <laughs> on to our next thing. And, and you're just so happy. It's actually the opposite for growth-driven design. The Launchpad site is the start of all of the other improvements you make off of that. What you do is you, you look at that wish list of 75 to 200 ideas and you start prioritizing it and you say, what are the 80% or the 20% of the items that are going to make 80% of the impact on the user and impact on the business? And you pull those things to the side and then you can do additional kind of filtering to just gut check yourself and make sure what you're building is really the most impactful and the must haves. But what you want to get to is the core things that are going to drive the results of, of the client. And the reason we want to do that is the launch pad is we want to get something built quickly uh, and get it out there, get it into our users' hands so we can get out of this bubble, this little backroom bubble that we've been sitting in and start being able to collect data so we can make more informed decisions. And so there's a number, the question I always get is like, well, how do you build a launch pad site quickly? Do you just cut the site in half and kill all the pages? And there's a, a, a few different approaches you can take. Um, to do that, and we can dive into that uh, a little bit later on if you're if you're interested in. But um, you know, essentially, the idea is let's get something out there, and, and we're going to start with that twenty percent of the core items. And then the last step of the methodology is the continuous improvement step. So this is what happens after you launch the launchpad site. And in the continuous improvement, um, we have two things that happen in the continuous improvement. The first is the the step by step process. So we pulled a lot of ideas. Um, I pulled a lot of ideas from like what startups are doing that are growing startups, what uh, is going on in lean software development. And we have a, a cycle of uh, plan, build, learn, and then transfer any learnings to other, other departments. And we go through that cycle, right? So there's, there's specific steps we do that. Now, the second piece of the continuous improvement is where are we focusing our time and energy? Because after you launch a site, there's literally millions of things you could do, um, you know, from usability to conversion rate optimization to design tweaks to yada, yada, yada. The list goes on and on. There's a, a ton of things you can do. And I think that causes some problems because you don't really know where you should put your chips on the poker table that's going to produce the best return for your clients. So what I've created is something called the, the website hierarchy. And you can kind of think of that as like a roadmap. And that roadmap will tell you, hey, at based off of where the website is in its life cycle, how it's performing, here's where it makes sense for you to spend most of your focused time and energy to make the biggest impact. 
And so um, we won't go through all the steps. We can we can put them in the show notes. But um, essentially, as you're going through that cycle of planning, building, learning, and transferring, you're doing you're applying that cycle on each one of those stages in the hierarchy. And what- okay, yeah, because that's something where I, I know what you said is didn't mean to just jump in, but okay. it's like at that point, you're right. There's like a thousand different possible things that can happen, and I feel like there's two different approaches to it. And both aren't that great. One is just kind of paralysis by analysis. There's so much to do that you don't do anything. Exactly. And then the other is that you try to do all of it, but don't really do much of it that well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's very much like it's, it's if you kind of think of you know if these are you're all agency owners here. You 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 got a million things going on. It's kind of like if you don't have a game plan and focus. It's kind of like your day to day where you're being pulled in a million different directions, and then you look at your you look at the end of the day, and you're like, "Wow, I didn't get anything done today because I just been being pulled everywhere." And that's kind of what it's like when you launch a site without a, a focus and a, a roadmap. Is like, there's a million things I could do, and I'm going to do a little of everything, and I'm going to charge the client, you know, four thousand dollars for this month's worth of work. But at the end of the day, when you look back, you're like, "Man, I went a little of everywhere, but I didn't really get anywhere." And so that's kind of what this growth, this um, growth-driven design website hierarchy is to help with, is give you some focus on where you could be spe- best spending your time and energy. Yeah, no, and that makes a ton of sense. And so what happens after that step? Once they've, they've this is a continuous kind of improvement step, they're looking at the, the hierarchy, they're going through it all, what, what's next? For each step on the website hierarchy, there is um, they basically stay in that stage until they hit a certain threshold. So one of the questions I get is, how do we report this to clients? How do we measure our progress and success? And um, there's a very clear set of um, what I call a focus metric for each step. And a focus metric is one metric that you're laser focused on improving. So for instance, one of the steps in the hierarchy is the value step. And the value step is really about, are the things on the site providing value for the users and solving points of pain? Or is it just kind of useless clutter or they're not really finding value or maybe we missed the mark in the message isn't really coming across how we wanted it to. And so that's the goal. The goal of the value step is to make sure that all the major components of the site are, are driving value and solving user, user problems. The way you measure that is the focus metric. And the focus metric, um, we use the, the suggested one that, that I suggest to agencies to use is essentially um, by collecting qualitative feedback in the form of an MPS survey. So as someone's leaving the site, um, you've probably seen similar surveys around where it says, um, on a scale 1 to 10, how likely would you recommend this content to a friend? Or how likely would you share this tool with a colleague? And that's going to help start collecting some feedback from your users so that you can tell whether or not they find this piece of content or this tool or this information valuable. And your goal is that all of the major pieces need to be very valuable. Now, so that's how we're, we're, we're benchmarking our progress based off of how are we tracking to get to our focus metric goal. And we're going to have a threshold that we want to hit at each step. And that threshold will be dependent on the client. So that's when you do your goal setting. You have to determine here's what kind of an MPS score we want to accomplish before we kind of move to the next step. So once you you just keep going through that cycle of planning, building, learning, and transferring on one of those steps until you hit your threshold, your agreed upon threshold. And then you can move to the next step and uh, start working on the next step. 
And, and the steps are in a specific order for a reason. So for instance, the, the fourth step is focusing on conversion rate optimization on your funnels. Now on your conversion funnels. So that's the goal would be looking at the, the path users take uh, in their conversion paths and reducing friction and reducing steps and making it as, as smooth as possible to get through that. The reason that's the fourth step and not the first, um, you know, a lot of people jump right to conversion rate optimization. <laughs> right. Is uh, the value step is the second step. And if we skip the value step and we don't do a gut check and make sure that everything that's on the site users find valuable and solves a point of pain, if we jump right to conversion rate optimization, we could be spending our time and energy trying to optimize something that no one cares about. And so you're, you're kind of spinning your wheels and not necessarily working most of efficiently because there's a fundamental flaw that no one finds the thing valuable. And so that's why we have, that's why I called it the hierarchy because it really is set up in a way that you need to graduate to the next step um, because otherwise you will probably be spending your time less efficiently working on things that are just fundamentally broken. Yeah, one of the big things is not really related to agencies at all, but uh, Tim Ferriss from 4-Hour Workweek, he has a big podcast and all yeah. that. And one Huge of the big boy. things he's – yeah, <laughs> no, me too. And one of his big things is that a lot of people are very efficient. They they use their time in a way that's – they don't waste much time like at large, but what they're working on doesn't matter as much, mm -hmm. so they're not as effective. Exactly. And so this – it seems like this roadmap, this hierarchy – makes it so that you know what you're working on does matter. You're doing the right order set. The time you're spending is being spent on the right things. Yeah, yeah I love that. I might have to steal that from you <laughs> or, or borrow that from Tim. The, the yeah, exactly. Efficient and effective, not just efficient. I like that. Yeah, exactly. How is the agency kind of communicating these things to the client at this point? Are they giving, usually do you recommend like monthly reports? Or what is the dialogue like between them during this process? The interesting thing that's happened, and we've seen this with the inbound marketing side of, of what we teach agencies, and I, I absolutely love it, is, um, you know, all I, I always say I, I have ideas, I don't have answers. So I don't have the answer for how to do this at your agency with your clients. What I can do is throw out some ideas, and that's really what I, what I do. And then, um, you know, it's up to you to take those and mold them for your own agency. So I've seen a couple different ways that this can happen um, that works efficient or works effectively. And, and, um, I, I'll usually, I always start with like, what would I do if I started an agency tomorrow? So if I started an agency tomorrow, um, we look at the cycle, which again is the plan, build, learn, and then transfer to other departments of, you know, marketing, transfer knowledge to sales and vice versa, have them transfer what they've learned to us, um, in the planning phase, we do something called um, the summit, and that's basically the kickoff of every cycle. So at the beginning of every cycle, we have a summit, and that's the whole team, including the client. And a piece of the, the summit is I, – I, I, this is the marketer in me. I come up with all these crazy, like, goofy names. So in, in the summit, there's something called the State of the Union, and the State of the Union is essentially what, what did we work on previously in our last cycle – um, and let's take a look at that. What did we learn from our users? Um, what, what behavior did we notice? What things might help us in this cycle? And then we do, we go back to our wish list because the wish list is an ongoing kind of living, breathing thing. And we go back and we add new ideas. Um, we prioritize and we kind of pick what are we going to do in this upcoming cycle? 
And so, so it's pretty similar to like the agile method. Yes, yeah. So yeah. the backbone, the backbone of the process on growth driven design is built off of agile. So agile or Scrum. So um, yeah, any of you who are familiar with that, um, you know, you'll probably be pretty familiar with um, the growth driven design process. And um, you know, there might be a little bit of twists here and there, but yeah, that's essentially um, how we look at it, and that's how we work. But we do that with the client in the planning meeting with us. So there is some work that needs to be done ahead of time. So at the end of each cycle, you, you put together that State of the Union presentation that goes through your experiments you ran, what your learnings were, um, you know, and, and the impact it had, and kind of how you're tracking towards that focus metric, depending on whatever stage of the hierarchy you're at. And then that way, when you hit your when you get to your planning stage of the next cycle, um, you can report all that and use that as information to help your brainstorming session when you create new action items to add to your wish list for the upcoming cycle. Is there a defined length to the cycle or is it once you achieve certain metrics, those sort of focus metrics or what, how long is a cycle? That's a great question. I, I got asked that yesterday. Um, it's funny because we as agencies, we work on very monthly basis because that's like they pay us monthly. And so we think monthly. Um, the problem is, so we, we actually rolled out when I was at Savvy Panda, we rolled a lot of Agile and Scrum. Um, we switched from Waterfall to Agile Scrum and had a lot of fall on our face learning moments. And one of the things, there's a few different ways you can break up your sprints. So uh, the way that we ended up breaking it up is we did... Originally, we did one sprint um, for, let's say they were paying for uh, essentially five days worth of time. We would do a, a one five-day sprint at the beginning of every month. And then um, we usually would leave an hour or two for kind of anything that came up between sprints that we might have to do um, that our support team would jump in and work on. Um, and then we'd get, we'd kind of plan it and hit our next sprint. Um, I learned very much that it's good to break it into two. So because you don't want to have like three weeks or two weeks where you're not necessarily working on any of that client's work, you know, things pop up. And so we ended up breaking it into two sprints per month. So we do two and a half days where the entire team was 100% focused on just this one client, um, or at least the pod, whatever pod was managing this client. And they'd crank away and get everything from start to finish, the whole cycle built and put up. And then um, we'd have a second sprint uh, later that month. And that worked pretty well. Um, and I, I, I guess if I looked at what I would do tomorrow at an agency, that would be one option. Um, the other option is that you are working on multiple clients' things at the same time. So that goes a little bit away from like Agile Scrum where you're like, okay, you want to stay focused and avoid task switching. But another way you could do it is say, okay, we have capacity to do three clients our pod has the capacity to do three clients at a time. And we're going to be sprinting the first few hours each day on this client, the next few hours on this day. And now we're going to sprint like basically two weeks. So what's pretty common in the software development world is to do two-week sprints. Two-week sprints gives you enough time to um, you know, properly um, go through all the steps, have the time to build it. And two weeks is short enough that you can run through the cycles fast enough to collect the feedback. You know, uh, if you do one month sprints, it's like you're kind of chugging away. You only really have, you know, in a one, in a 12 month engagement, you're only doing 12 total sprints, which is really not that many. So, um, yeah, I guess that's, again, just a bunch of ideas on a couple of ways you could do it. You could either do it as a, a prolonged two week sprint where you're working on multiple clients, 
all at the same time, or you could just break it into two chunks where you're like, okay, every two weeks we're going to do a, a one or two day sprint and we're just going to hundred percent focus on that client and no other clients. Um, I guess it's just two different ways to slice it. No. So it's not so much that there's, this is the way you're not being kind of rigid about it. You're not saying this is the one way to do it. You have to do it this way. You're more saying, there's like you said, you're the idea guy of you, you, what works for different agencies might not work for all of them. Cause one of the big things is you, like you said, you don't want to go away for a few months and just basically be radio silent with the client. So you want to make sure that you have some kind of regular communication and also that they're seeing progress, that they're seeing things are changing. And that's like the big thing that's different about GDD is that. You're not going away for three months, and then at the end, there's your product. There's nothing in between. You're saying, all right, we'll start here, and then it's, it's an iterative process where you're slowly improving learning and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does it go on forever? Like, are you Do you keep adding more cycles and just billing them forever? Is there an end to the cycle? That's a really common question. Um, so there's a few different thoughts on this. The The first thought, if we... If we look at what we're trying to accomplish as an agency, at the end of the day, we're trying to get our clients the best results possible. And in order to do the best results possible, we probably need to create a formula of a few different services. So we probably need something related to uh, growth-driven design or website-related services. We probably need some marketing or inbound marketing-related services. And we probably need some sales enablement or even sales, um, you know, possibly sales consulting, sales related services so that we can really from the first touch all the way through the sale and, and even customer, we can have control of like where we improve the um, that that flow for the business. This is kind of like the, the first I'm setting up where I'm going with this for the long term question that you asked is you, you really need to every single month you're going to make an assessment of like what are the most impactful things I can do that are going to drive the goals of the client at this given moment. And that formula of growth driven design, email marketing or marketing and then um, sales stuff, that formula will look very different in month one than it does in month six and month 12 and month 24. You're going to be constantly adapting that formula along the way. Now, you might have some guardrails and say, okay, we want to make sure uh, at least this much time is focused on the website and growth driven design. And we want to focus at least this much time because otherwise you can kind of like um, erode time into just one bucket and things kind of get pushed under the carpet. But um, generally speaking, the reason I explain that is that as you go through this, this really is like, unless they're closing their business, there's all these services are going to be needed in month one through month 24 through month 36. And they're always going to have to be um, doing one of those three things. And so uh, it's just the formula might look a little bit different. Month one uh, through month 12 might be a little bit more heavy website if if you're working on iterating on the website then you may slowly shift and be a little bit more um, marketing related so just keep that in mind um the second thing that i would mention is um there's this idea of local maximum and global maximum so a local maximum is if we put a box on the whiteboard that's our playing field and we're going to try and optimize and improve and iterate off as much as we can within this box 
But the problem is, is that at, at a certain point you get to diminishing returns, right? So you, you're improving, improving, improving. You, you all of a sudden you're like, okay, well I'm spending X amount of time and energy, and I'm not, we're not necessarily making the leaps and bounds like we used to. And that's okay. That total, that's part of the game. But when you get to that point, then you can start looking at what we call a global maximum, which is like, well, what if we redefine what that box looks like and we make that box bigger or we totally change where the box, maybe instead of drawing it on the whiteboard, we're going to draw the box on the side of the wall where we have more space so we can make it bigger. And so this is the idea of how do we be innovative and think of new things that are kind of game changing or like zero to one steps up from what we're doing today. And in relations to the website. So year one is probably going to be your strategy, your launchpad website, and then going through the website hierarchy and really like crushing it all the way through there. And at some point, depending on the size of the site, if it's a small dental office, you might get through that a little quicker than if you're doing a like a monster e-commerce or like a corporate site. Like at some point, you're going to start saying like, how do we start looking at what we can do to basically change the game in some of these areas um, based off of everything we learned, based off of all the user learning, everything. Um, let's let's think about how we change the game. So I think like year two and three, um, you basically are going to have that as part of your strategy as well is thinking about those types of things. When you're thinking about those types of things, like would one of those outside the box strategies, would it be to change the box? Would you basically be doing almost a new kind of, not a redesign, but a new launch pad or is it smaller than that? Or like, I guess my question is like, is there ever going to be, let's start over and create a new launch pad or is it still just going to be like changing smaller things around? The, the the right answer is it will depend on the client, <laughs> um, which it, that's the that's the hard thing about um, all of this is because we could I could tell you an answer and it, but there's no such thing as like I'm really anti best practices. I think best practices are a good place to start, but they're just a starting point. And so um, it really is going to be dependent on what you're seeing in the behavior and, and in the data and the results for that client. But um, it's a good question because I think one of two things are happening. Some clients really do love this because there is like you really won't ever in some scenarios ever have to do a redesign again, um, depending on, um, you know, if you're always updating kind of the look, the feel and you're going through this continuous improvement, you're kind of avoiding having to go through this big monster headache of a thing ever again. But. If you're going through and you're saying, what's the most impactful thing we can do this month? And you're putting together that formula in your summit meeting in the planning stage. And you say, like, look, we've noticed, like, we've rebranded a little bit or we've we've noticed that um, X, Y, and Z is not performing well. Or a really common one is if, you, if you've... Um, this is why I used to, I love and hate open source software, but like if, if like the platform is just outdated and you're like, okay, it's time for us to do a rehaul. Like we used to work in Joomla and, and every time they do a major update, we'd always have to just basically you're better off starting from scratch again. Um, if something like that happens, it may come up where it's like, okay, let's do another launchpad site. And that's totally cool. Um, or maybe it's just like, hey, let's just reskin this and put a new template and new look and feel, new coat of paint, CSS styling, and maybe that's all you need to do. It's not the, you don't need to rebuild the structure. So 
again, it's it's a very broad answer because it's going to depend on the client. But um, there is the possibility where you you will never have to do a major major redesign again. I mean, that's the whole goal, I guess, is of the system. What I'm thinking about is that like as you make improvements, like you said, you approach local maximums. There's only so much you can do kind of within that box. And so you almost to break out of it, you might not necessarily like an entire redesign, but you're going to have to potentially start. Once you've got all the low hanging fruit picked, you might need to make some bigger changes along the way. Yeah. Now, one of the one of the beautiful things that's built into the website hierarchy is towards the end of the step. And again, it's at the end for a reason um, is what I call uh, focusing on building assets. And so when we think of assets of a business, an asset is like the machines, the computers, vehicles, like things that hold value to your business. And just like a business has assets, your marketing department and your clients uh, have assets as well. Their blog, their email list, their social following. Those are things that hold value to the business. I I would say the website's probably their biggest marketing assets. That's that's where everyone's going. (laughs) Um, And... What you can do is, in that stage of the website hierarchy, you start thinking about how do we build things onto the site or build things um, on the web that are going to be so valuable to our users that they would be willing to pay money for, but we offer for free. So it kind of plays off of, I know Jay Baird's got this utility uh, book, which kind of dives into that concept. And it really, it really is like that's where you can start looking at global, really changing the game and doing some global maximum type stuff is um, when you get to that stage, um, you've kind of already optimized the status quo, and now let's build some bigger, more impactful things that maybe are uh, uh, almost like mini growth-driven design projects within our engagement. So an example of that, uh, here at HubSpot, we have a tool called WebsiteGrader.com, WebsiteGrader.com, and you just throw in your URL, and it basically does an audit on your website and lets you know what you're doing well and what you're not doing well on, and it's just a really great way for you to really quickly, um, you know, assess where your pain, you know, where your problem points are on your website. And so that gets tons and tons of visits, gets tons and tons, it gets a link to, so we get SEO value from it. Uh, we get lots of data about what people are struggling with on their website. Um, and we also uh, provides a lot of value for our users. So it's a win-win. And that's the kind of thing that you have to look at for this client. How do we build something like that. Another um, example is um, when I was at uh, Savvy Panda, uh, this is funny because it was solving my own problem, but it turned out to be a good problem to solve. Is um, So I do a lot of speaking and I was trying to find a list of all of the marketing conferences available because I'm like, oh, great. I'll just go down. the. I'll find a calendar that's got all of them. I'll, I'll go down there and I'll just see what's going on and a- apply to the ones that sound good, that, that make sense. And I couldn't find it. And so I'm like, all right, I'm just going to start my own Excel spreadsheet. I started Excel spreadsheet put that together. And then I'm like, well, if I'm searching for this stuff, someone else is probably searching for this stuff. Why don't I just throw up a page on SavvyPanda.com and just list all, like I did it myself. I'm not a designer or developer. I know enough to be dangerous, but I threw it up there. And a year later, we were getting 100,000 visits uh, to a year to that page. And we were getting 30 to 40 leads of like good, good quality leads uh, signing up for it. And so that became a really big asset to us like imagine you as an agency to get out of the blue um you know 30 to 40 leads from like bigger companies like 200 to 2000 person companies um signing up for um as leads like that's it was great for us so you need to think of how do we build those things for our clients um based off of their personas based off of what 
their personas, points of pain are in their industry. And that's where this is a really long winded answer to your question, but like in second year two, year three, you're probably going to have a more focus on that kind of a thing and maybe a little bit less focus on um, necessarily like iterating on a specific landing page or, or something like that. Um, the last, the last example I'll squeeze in here really quickly of a marketing asset. Cause I almost guarantee most of you have been there. If you do uh, marketing is SEO Moz has a Google algorithm change um, kind of history page and it goes through anytime Google ever makes an update, they kind of log it and you can, it's kind of the go-to source anytime there's an update um, or if you want to, um, you know, keep an eye on it. And so I've, I've read that it just drives tons and tons of SEO value for them. They get tons of links from it and uh, they also get a ton of traffic and a ton of people on their site, which converts into trials of their software. And so that's a really big asset for them that they've built um, based off of their user audience and, and it's proven very uh, beneficial for them. That's a great spot to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. But when we come back, I'm going to talk to Luke about how to price these services and how the fees and cash flow compare to traditional web design. So just hang tight for 30 seconds and we'll be right back. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Now, Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so that you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets or on the back of napkins or whatever else you're using and start getting the insights into how your team is actually spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. Our best clients are agency owners, and while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork but without all the crazy fees, where they really find the true value is by being able to connect Hubstaff with a project management tool to see what tasks are taking up their team's time. Think of it as Google Analytics for your team. I do want to warn you, though, there's a good chance once you see this data, you're going to be sick when you realize how little time is spent actually delivering the project itself. But you can't set up the procedures to make your agency more efficient if you're just guessing where time is being spent. So give Hubstaff a try so you can stop guessing and start streamlining your agency. Head over to Hubstaff.com today and sign up for a free, no credit card required, 14-day trial and get your agency back on track. All right, now let's get back to Luke. Yeah, and it seems like this is where we go back to what you're talking about is kind of adjusting the formula or like moving around the ratio of, say, just standard CRO. And then as you go further along, you look into more content marketing, you look into more SEO, you look into creating those assets. And I think that's what you're getting at before when you said changing the formula, kind of shifting the ratio of, of your focus as things change over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there's no cookie cutter approach. Um, it just isn't. So um, that's, uh, yeah, I think you hit the nail on that. Like, how do you bill for this? Like, how does this compare to, because when you're building a website, delivering a website, and then you're done, like, it's pretty simple. Like, you charge for that. Like, how do you bill for all this? Does it change month to month? Is there a big upfront fee? I'm guessing it varies, but what is like the general structure you recommend people to think this through? The, so now we're getting into the, the part that I like to, I mean, I nerd out on all of this, but I essentially nerd out on how does an agency sell this and service this with clients specifically, um, which I love. So uh, there's three, essentially three ways that you can package or three ways you can break up your quotes. And, it's kind of based off of the size of the website. Um, and I, again, these are just my ideas. Um, I know a few other agencies that are, uh, or a bunch of other agencies that are doing this kind of have their own flavor of this. But 
Um, generally speaking, if you have a, uh, you can do one of three things. You can start a 12 month engagement. It's all retainer based. So that's why agencies absolutely love this because it shifts your business model from struggling month to month, trying to figure out how to make your next sale and do these projects to we're going to sign you up. And for the next 12 months, I'm going to have three to $10,000 in just website work, um, coming in for the next 12 months. And that's consistent revenue. So option one is we sign you up and it's just a flat fee. Um, it's anywhere, again, anywhere from maybe $2,500 to $2,000 on the low side. Anything under $2,000 is kind of hard. Um, you're probably going to be putting in too much work and, and not, you should raise your rates. <laughs> so, um, but around like uh, like $2,500 to, I've seen up to $10,000 a month. And that that's just going to be a monthly fee. And the first month, uh, give or take is what we're going to do. Maybe three weeks is going to be the strategy step. Uh, then we're going to move to the launch pad step. And our goal is to get something launched by the first 60 days, uh, 60 to 70 days. Um, and then we're going to just iterate off of that. So that's just a flat fee. It doesn't change. You just pay a certain amount and we just are going through the growth driven design methodology step by step and step. Um, now the timeline, the other caveat I put on the timeline is it depends obviously on the size of the site. Um, I've seen smaller sites get cranked out in 30 days. Um, so if you have a dentist office or a law firm or something like that, like you can launch the strategy and the launch pad and have a good, well put together website that's performing better than what they have today and looks better in 30 days. Um, if you have a big e-commerce or, you know, multilingual or something like that, it's probably going to be more on like the three month one, three month time frame. But it's still better than if you did traditional design, which probably would have been like a six or eight month project. So that's option one is a flat, flat fee. That's good for small, smaller sites because the strategy and launch pad are usually small enough that the monthly fee covers it. If you were to build a site with traditional web design and you were charged between 15 and maybe $100,000, that's what I consider a medium sized site. And this approach would work the best. So in this approach, you have a, a phase one, which is the strategy and the launch pad, and you give them a price for that. And that most likely for that size of a site is going to be bigger than what their monthly fee is going to be. So for instance, you may charge um, you know, $15,000, and that includes the strategy and the launch pad. And then you're going to do a $5,000 monthly fee after that uh, for the rest of the 12 months. Um, or you could just start the 12-month engagement at that point. So that that breaks it into two phases. Now, if you have a site that in traditional design would probably cost more than $100,000, um, I would break it into three parts and I would give them a price for the strategy um, because that should be pretty easy to price. You kind of have a set process for your strategy and you know about how long it's, uh, you know, that kind of stuff takes. But then you have a separate, uh, you give them a ballpark figure for the launchpad site and a ballpark figure for the monthly improvement. And you don't lock in in a number until you complete the previous step. Because when you're talking about a $100,000 or bigger site, it's just too much to try and gauge what the actual cost is. Like I have no idea how much time and energy we should be working every single month on improvement is. I'll know once we go through the strategy and I have a much clearer idea on who your personas are and what's wrong with your current process and system and what we need to do to improve it. Um, so that, that's a way to break it down and make it easier to quote. Now, here's the, the beauty of it in the pricing side of things. How much do you actually charge for this? Um, you know, that's a whole separate conversation. We just talked about how you break up the quote. 
the pricing um, in the uh, at least in the ongoing improvement pricing, it's literally impossible to well not impossible I'm sure there's some way but it's very hard to shoot yourself in the foot and underprice something because they're buying if you work because it's an agile system and you work on the the wish list and you have all these ideas and you rank them by impact and you say the top of the list is the most impactful then medium impactful and low impactful and we're going to go to the top of the list and our team has assigned some kind of weighted value whether that's points um, it could be hours. It's just if you do hours, I wouldn't tell the client the hours. There's this whole thing of like nitpicking hours. So like just do that internally. But basically what you say is like, hey, we have capacity to get through the top five items this month. And then we run out of capacity and everything below that we're going to have to do next month. And so it helps protect against scope creep. It helps protect against like not trying to bite off more than you can chew because you're breaking it down into these little wish list items that are much easier to scope and, and implement. And you basically go until you max out your capacity for that month based off of how much they're paying you. And then you can, everything else goes to the next cycle or the next month. Um, it's also really good for um, upselling. So the client in the in this planning step sees all these things on the wish list and they get super excited. They're like, oh, this is all awesome. I want to do all of this. And you're like, well, we have capacity this month to get through X, Y, and Z. Everything else is going to have to be next month. Um, and then they're going to be all excited and kind of like, well, how do we do it this month? And you're like, well, we could do it, but we have to maybe increase the size of your engagement. So a lot of growth-driven design agencies start at uh, maybe a lower package kind of uh, um Usually I recommend to start with three packages, like a fast, faster, fastest in terms of number of hours or time or, you know, how much they're paying. They usually start at one and they almost within the first um, three to six months upgrade them into the next higher package. It's like real common. Yeah, I mean, so this ties in a ton to what I've talked to some other guests about is what's called like road mapping. And it's basically the exact thing you're talking about in your strategy session where you Instead of giving a pitch for such for these big complex projects, you don't you don't know enough to give a proposal right away to give a pitch. In the strategy session, helps you identify everything. But the other thing it does is it brings a client in, and when you can show them how much roughly how much time, how many points, or whatever each task on their wish list or their backlog or whatever it is is going to take, and they helped you do that, then they're not thinking like, oh, we can just cram this into this month or why why didn't we get so much done because they helped you come up with it. So the issue of scope creep is almost a non-issue because they were the ones that helped you figure these things out and they understand the pricing and how it all works. So you're right. It's like if they want more done, it's clear that, well, in this much time for this much money, we can't do it. But it, it all just makes it go easier for them. And it's much more just kind of above board, just transparent to them as well. One hundred percent. And and just as a side note, is all of that needs to be clearly explained in the sales process and clearly like set the expectations. They need to be on board with all of that and kind of know how this all works. Um, because there's a there's kind of a re-education that needs to happen so that they really understand and is and are bought in on. Um, how this system works. Um, they've been doing for years and years and years traditional web design, and uh, they just kind of are used to that's how it works, and this is kind of a new thing. So um, what you want to avoid is trying to sell them without educating them, them getting into your services team, and then all of a sudden your services team is kind of like running into friction with them just not getting it. So um, I don't know, that's a little side note. but that's No, that's a real good point. One of the things that I was going to ask you was, 
how do kind of smaller agencies who are working with smaller clients who might not have the budget do this? But I think you touched on it a little bit when you talked about the price. You said at a certain price point, it doesn't really make sense because it's going to be more time than it's worth and that they really need to raise their rates. And I almost think that like when you talked about this structure in and of itself, that's conducive to raising your rates because one of the problems with people who transition from a freelancer to a smaller agency and they're, they're still just growing and learning things is that they don't have that predefined strategy phase to start off an engagement. And that's one of the biggest differences between kind of the agencies that get it and the agencies that are able to land higher value clients and able to sell and able to get that, um, those increased rates. And so I think we almost answer that question in of itself is like this, by having a clear process like this, by making sure you get it right, by making sure you're not blowing their budget or the timelines or anything like that, like that in itself helps you raise your rates. Is that reasonable? Yeah, I think, I think there's two points to that. And I think you hit the first point, which is that this process and this methodology and everything that I've put together will, will give you a blueprint on how to do that kind of stuff. And again, it's not the, not the end-all be-all answer, um, but it's an idea and will help move you in that direction. And you're exactly right. It's going to get you better, more profitable clients that are better long-term partners to have versus the people that are going to be wanting everything for free and be nitpicking and the ones you're going to end up firing. So that's that's part one. The, the other thing that I'll mention off of that that I get asked a lot, which is can you do this? Can you do this with small budgets? Like what if I just have a dentist office and they want a $10,000 site and that's like traditional web design. I would build them a $10,000 site. Can you still do this? So there's basically for the prospect, if you put yourself in your prospect shoes, there's essentially two major buckets of value proposition for the growth driven design methodology. And the first bucket is all of the risks and headaches that it removes. So those are the things of like taking forever to launch a site, it going out of scope that they have to shift their time and resources. I mean, especially small businesses and small companies, they're so time strapped, like to focus on a website for three months and pull away from all the other things is really hard. Um, and so those kinds of, uh, of things, the, the upfront cost, the time and energy, the fact it goes out of scope over budget, those are like the risks and growth driven design solves that. The other bucket of um, value prop for uh, growth-driven design is the that it's a system that produces better results through the through the learning and continuous improvement. So that's kind of like okay, once the launchpad site's live, now how do we like continuously improve off of that and get you better results? So what I found, the reason I explain this is what I found, generally speaking, high level is. Smaller growth-driven design will work for any size budget, any company, period. Like I've seen it work. You may have to adapt it a little bit. The smaller ones are probably more conducive to the first value prop bucket of alleviating the risks because they're small businesses. They have a lot of things going on, um, and that speaks better to them. If you're talking about the opposite end of the spectrum where you have an enterprise monster company – they don't really care that, you know, they don't really care as much about those risks. Like they're, they want the results and they want the continuous improvement. And I think that's what, and the data driven, the data driven approach speaks much more to them. And so in the sales conversation, that one of the things that we teach you um, in our certification is how do you talk about this in the sales process and diagnose which one of those 
points what are the points of pain they have and then what are the what's the value prop that resonates best for that particular client and so when you have conversations with smaller companies you're probably going to focus it around specifically that first bucket and then you may tailor a plan that is a little bit more geared towards them so i've seen people take growth gym design with smaller clients and they simply just break the payment up over, um, you know, four thousand, five thousand dollars over six month period, and they roll it over six months instead of the twelve. And then, of course, they want to try and renew them at the end of the twelve or end of the six. But small clients absolutely love that because that's a much easier pill to swallow, uh, cash flow wise, for them to spend, you know, three k a month versus fifteen k all at once. A big enterprise company has won't blink an eye at spending 15k up front. You know they, that's not what they care about. So they'll be more. You'll talk about the continuous improvement. So anyway, that's it's another consideration in the sales thing, and it, it kind of goes off of does this work with smaller uh, companies? It does. You just may not be doing quite a 12 month. You may have to adapt a little bit. But totally, I've seen it work time and time again um, for any size company. No, that was great. And so on the other side of the coin, though, I just I recently had um, Andy Cressadina on the show. He's a big kind of content marketer. He runs an agency in Chicago. They do five million dollars a year, but it's all one off projects. Like if for a bigger agency that's that successful, like why change what works? Because I agree it's probably harder to get to that point on one off projects. But for the people that have done it, do you think there's merit in still considering something like this? Let me use an analogy to to try and uh, explain my point. So if we look at the way that taxis worked, um, they got us to point A to point B, right? And I could walk, I, I'm in Boston here, I could walk down the street and find a taxi and have them take me wherever I wanted. Um, they won't go through the tunnel though to East Boston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. I might get, I might get stuck in, in uh, yeah. different parts. But um, generally speaking, like, the taxi system worked. It got us from point A to point B. Does that mean that there's not a better system? No. And that, and we obviously, I'm, the analogy I'm going through is Uber, where they came in and just redefined and said, you know, there is a better way to do this. Just because the status quo is working doesn't mean that there aren't, isn't a better option. And so um, my pushback to anyone who's like, well, we're, what we're currently doing is working um, is that. I'm glad it's working for you. That may that probably means that the transition will be easier because you already have you know a machine built. It's just pointing that machine in a in a slightly different direction, or let's add a turbo onto that machine. Um, and, and especially bigger agencies that have bigger teams and more time and resources, they can they usually can transition to growth driven design easier because they have the people in house to actually do it versus a two person shop who's trying to juggle so many things. Um, so I think it's it's something that works for any agency. It's just, again, um, figuring out maybe we're going to do this with just certain clients. Maybe we're going to do this with one of our pods and not all of our pods. Maybe it's an option. So I've had um, some agencies that are a little on the fence and, like, not sure, like, they don't quite – they're not quite ready to pitch it. Uh, 100% and they don't want 100% transition their agency, they'll actually pitch both options. And they'll say, look, we have two ways we go about building websites. We can do the traditional route, which is here's our process. It's probably what you're used to. And then we have this other process, which is new called growth driven design. And here's why we think it's better. And they go through the educational part of explaining why they think it's better. And then they give the client the choice, or the prospect the choice and say, which one do you think is a better fit um, for you? And that way, you're really giving them options, number one. And um, number two, um, 
you know, it's it's a way for you to, I guess, test the waters and see what your audience prefers. Because who knows? Maybe they have a project-based company and just because it's working now doesn't mean that their audience doesn't prefer this other this other methodology, which is what there's a there's an agency out of uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. I was just up there the other day. They're awesome, awesome people's uh, media junction, like 20 person shop. And um, they that's what they did for the first like three to five months is just pitch both options. And they eventually transitioned to just growth driven design. But that's that worked out really well for them to 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 test the waters, kind of see how it goes and what their audience actually preferred. The first 30 days, they pitched it five website or six web, five website accounts, uh, five website uh, proposals, excuse me. And four out of the five clients chose to do growth driven design over traditional, even though it cost almost double over the 12 months because it was 12 months worth of work. So the, the overall cost was more for more work and more value. Um, and four out of the five chose it because they just understood the value and they understood all, uh, you know, all the things we talked about why traditional is broken and they were like this is awesome we want to do this instead yeah there's almost like a psychology aspect in, of sales from that too because you're asking them a or b instead of saying do you want to work with us you're saying which would be better and you're proposing both so they're making a choice of which way they want to go rather than whether or not they want to go with you yeah now now to take that one step further i like where you're going there with the should you work with us one of the interesting things i i learned um we, I've been seeing, and I didn't originally think of this, um, which is funny. So back in the day at Savvy Panda, at the agency I was at, uh, we were kind of the early days of inbound marketing. It was like six years ago, and we were you know, working with, with HubSpot. And we had prospects come to us that were shopping around. Um, they were talking to three different agencies. They wanted, you know, we didn't do RFPs, but like uh, they, they wanted quotes. And they wanted SEO services. And so... What we said was, well, you know, in the sales process, said, well, why do you want SEO services? And we kind of peeled the layers of the onion back until we basically got to their core problem, which is they needed leads for their business. And so then we we educated them on inbound marketing. And we said, well, SEO is great. It's one piece of the puzzle, but there's also all these other things. There's there's blogging and there's uh, you have to convert them once on your site. So you need to put together campaign and conversion offers and you have to lead nurture them down the sales funnel. Like inbound marketing is actually a better system to get you to your core goal of building leads. And so here's the interesting thing that we, we saw is that totally changed the dynamic in, when we're pitching against other agencies, it's no longer three SEO agencies and which one is better. Now you have two SEO agencies that are selling one piece of a bigger puzzle and you're missing out on all the rest of the puzzle. Or I go with this inbound marketing firm that has sold me and educated me on why I need a complete solution. And it's the exact same thing with growth driven design. I've um, talked to agencies that say when we get into Pitching battles with other agencies, it's a very big differentiator um, by us being able to say, here's what's wrong with the status, with, the, with what the traditional system is. Here's why, here's our system and why it's better. And now the prospect says, well, do I want to go with these two people that are going off of this broken system? You know, like as long as they have bought in, it makes the choice so much more clear. No, that's awesome. And I actually hadn't thought of that angle. And it's like a lot of people I've had on the show talk about having strong positioning, like we're the WordPress experts for membership sites or this and that because of that reason, because why go with the generalist when you go with specialist? But this is another way to differentiate yourself because why why go with the five people basically pitching me the same exact thing when there's this other guy, this other shop that is pitching me the new thing that works better 
they're trying to educate me. They're helping me. Like it makes you stand out so much more. And I really hadn't thought about that. So yeah. thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. And it's uh, honestly like I, I am, I feel confident in saying this is that growth trim design is easier to sell in clothes than traditional design. I've, I've gotten that like email and after email of people emailing me and saying like, I, our sales process is so much easier, so much quicker, and it's been so much easier to close bigger deals. So, um, and it's for those points that we've all talked about so far. Yeah. And it's like people most likely, especially if you're working with bigger clients, this is almost definitely not going to be their first web project. Like this is not going to be the first redesign or anything like that. And also most likely those other projects didn't go that well for them. <laughs> exactly. And so like they, when, as soon as you start talking about GDD, like people, they get it. They're like, yeah, it is broken. Like that makes sense. And, and they, they buy in pretty strongly because of just how painful some of those other experiences were. Yeah. The best, the best thing, and we, we talk about this in the sales, uh, we have two, uh, classes, one on prospecting and one on, uh, the sales process in our certification or in my certification. And the, the pro tip I'll give you here is the best thing you can say when you're first chatting with them about it is just say, tell me, you know, how, how have your previous web design projects gone? What went really well? And what went uh, not so well, and then kind of like dig into like what what did how did that impact your business, right? How did that because it got launched late, and like sometimes they'll they'll you know they'll play it nice and they'll be like, oh, well, you know, this happened and this happened, and they really don't dig to it, and so you can kind of cut cut to the chase and say like, well, did it get launched on time? And it's funny because when people ask me what I do here at HubSpot and I explain growth driven design and I, I, I do this exact same thing. I'm like, tell me about your last web design. And every time I ask them, did it get launched on time? I like half the time they break out laughing because it just <laughs> did not happen. And so and it wasn't even close, not even close. I, I met with us. So we were training a, um, we're training a, uh, new consultant from our Ireland offices in town. And I had coffee with her earlier today and she came from a, a business and, and helped with a redesign. And she just broke out laughing. He's like, yeah, I was like six months late. I'm like, okay, that sounds about right. So that's the, that's the pro tip. Just ask him like, how did you tell me a little, tell me the story of how your previous website redesigns went, what went well, what didn't go well, and just kind of peel some of those onions back. And what you're basically doing is diagnosing the pain points, either consciously or subconsciously that are in their brain, which then sets you up for telling the story about growth-driven design and which which solutions of growth-driven design or value props of growth-driven design you should kind of push on and say, hey, you know how we talked about your last redesign took six months overdue? Well, you know, like here's X, you know, here's the story of why growth-driven design is going to make sure that never happens again. Honestly, Luke, you gave us a ton. What I'm going to do is I'm going to link it up in the show notes. In the introduction, I'm going to tell people to kind of bring these notes up so they can kind of follow along as it goes. But if people want to learn more, like if, if they want to, you mentioned the certification, like what, can you tell us about that to kind of wrap things up? Definitely. So if this in any way, shape, or form is making a light bulb or gears turn in your head and you're, you're curious on learning more, um, the easiest place to go is just growthdrivendesign.com. And at growthdrivendesign.com, um, so one of the things I've been heads down working on for the last um, three months, basically, is putting together a certification um, that will teach you how to market, sell, and service this with clients. And there's two cool pieces to the certification. The one is all the, the training videos and resources and all the stuff I talked about. We expand on that in way more depth. The second piece is I have a ton of templates and tools and um uh, proposal examples for so some of you that are listening like how do I structure a proposal how much should I price I have agencies that have given me example proposals um, and so basically I have a blueprint that you can take the certification and 
help kickstart a growth driven design program at your agency. And then, um, you know, on the marketing side, you'll be, you'll be a, a certified growth driven design agency. And now you don't, you do not have to be a HubSpot partner to do this. This is just, we want to just evangelize this idea. We want to change the industry. We think this is a better thing for everyone. And so you don't have to be a HubSpot partner. You can just go to growthdrivendesign.com and there'll be a, a, a call to action or a link to go to start or check out the certification. That would be the... Does the certification cost anything? Uh, currently, no. So <laughs> in the future, who knows? But um, I, I don't plan on it, but it might. So the sooner, the better you can you can get in there and take advantage of it. Um, and the other question I get is who should get certified at your agency? I would I would recommend everyone because the first half of the certification is teaching you the methodology and the process, which whether you're selling it, whether you're servicing it, uh, whoever you are, you should know that. And then the second half is um, a little more specific to job titles, but if you're servicing it, you should still know what's going on in the sales process and vice versa. If you're a salesperson, you should know what's going on with the services team. And so I would just recommend anyone on your team, you know, to really embrace this, just have everyone go through it um, and, and take advantage of it. And uh, the other thing that's tied along with that is we have a, uh, which I know you're a part of, we were chatting earlier today, is our Slack group. Um, so we have uh, a, a big community on Slack where if you have questions, I'm on there every day. You can ping me and ask me questions, say hi. Um, uh, that's something that uh, kind of comes along with the certification if you're part of the certification. Yeah, and this is like the definition of create something that people would be willing to pay for because like, people would pay just for those proposal templates. Like they're, they're that good. They're that clear. And then that's not even to talk about kind of, I've gone through all the information there. It's, it's really good on sales, marketing service, kind of all of it. it I was surprised that it was just that it was free. <laughs> we at HubSpot, we, we live this, we have a very good culture about trying to give back to the community and trying to educate and change the community. We did it in the marketing world with inbound marketing, um, we're doing it in the sales world. With in, we have kind of an inbound sales methodology, and um, you know, I think it's a smart, it's a smart and and a good feeling to give back and try and see the impact this has had on agencies, whether they're HubSpot partners or not. You know, I think it's just the whole idea of inbound marketing is sharing good content and helping educate and train, and we drink our own Kool Aid, so that's kind of what this is all about. No, and you guys did a great job with that. So, Luke, thank you so much for sharing all that with us today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And if anyone wants to reach out to me, uh, you can also get me at Luke at GrowthDrivenDesign.com. Luke at GrowthDrivenDesign.com. Um, and uh, would love to chat. Perfect. Thanks again, Luke. After hearing all this, I really just have one question. Why haven't more web design agencies latched onto this concept or a concept like it? We all know that the first version of a website is never going to be the best it can be. So why do we sell a website as a one-off project? Everyone's talking about CRO and iterative testing and all that, but why don't we bake that in the web design process itself? To me, growth-driven design just makes sense. It gets the client a better result and helps give you a more consistent cash flow, making it easier to grow. But from talking to a lot of agency owners, I know there's going to be some pushback because it is a huge change from how you currently sell your services. But Luke had a great point. Just offer them both and see what your clients prefer. If you have questions on how you can implement GDD in your agency, check out the resources over at growthdrivendesign.com. Honestly, I was blown away by how much they're giving away for free there. And so if you want to grow your retainers and help smooth out your cash flow, this is for you. And I promise the resources are awesome. Please check them out. 
That's all I have for this week. Next week, I'll be back with Jonathan Dane of Client Boost, and he'll share how he was able to ramp his agency up to over $1 million in retainers in the first year. Talk to you then. See ya.